0: Cognitive therapy contains material which may be distressing to some listeners, such as domestic violence, animal cruelty, and mental health issues. A Podcast 1 Production. In 2012, Natasha and her husband wanted a baby. They already had one little girl, Maddie, but they knew they wanted another. And then it happened they fell pregnant.
1: We got a big surprise and found out we were pregnant with twin boys and um, everything was going well until about 18 weeks and we found out that they had something called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, which means that one twin is getting more than the other um, as far as the the nutrients and um arteries and veins between the babies. So so we just started going into more and more hospital visits. Sometimes it can rectify after a little while um, on its own. Anyway, it got to a point um, where they said, look, the twins are quite distressed and um, we should try and um, rectify that with a little operation. They do an ablation. So we went and had that. And unfortunately, though, that caused some issues and one of the twins, Max, he unfortunately passed away. So both of them passed away in utero. He passed away on Monday, and then by Wednesday, um, little Nicholas had passed away as well.
0: Natasha says that losing the twins was heartbreaking. After it happened, she went through a long period of grief. Some days it was hard to get out of bed, But then Alfie came along, a little cavoodle who became part of their family.
1: Probably my memory of picking up Alfie was holding him in my arms. He kind of fulfilled what was missing, in a way. I walked out of the hospital, empty arms, and then we went and found Alfie. I held him all the way home. And that was pretty beautiful. He's definitely part of our family, isn't he? Yeah. Maddie actually pointed out um, when she was in kinder, which is how many years ago? Three years ago now? Two. She um, did a family portrait. They all had to paint a family portrait and Alfie was in the family portrait.
0: And also we had to do a play and I put him on there as yeah. well and I still have that plate and that picture.
1: Yeah. He gets included on the cards that we write and... He's part of the family. He's like a little brother almost, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's like and a little brother.
0: even wearing a poor print necklace. <gasps> <laughs> is that because you love Elfie so much? Yeah, and it's also a BFF necklace.
1: Best friends forever. Mm-hmm.
0: The loss of a child is impossible for a lot of us to imagine, let alone two children. But Natasha went through it and came out the other side. She even says that during the grieving period, she also experienced moments of joy, and she puts this down to bringing little Elfie into their lives. My name's Laura V, and welcome to Dognative Therapy, a series that explores how human behaviour shapes dogs' behaviour. Today's episode is on grief. Samantha King from Psychology and Animal Assisted Wellbeing has a psychology centre that utilises one of the most therapeutic tools we can imagine, dogs. She tells me that dogs help clients open up more than they usually might, particularly when experiencing difficult emotions such as grief. What is PAW? So
2: poor is my psychology practice and it stands for Psychology and Animal Assisted Wellbeing uh, and the idea behind that is that we are psychologists offering psychological services um, but we have animals assisting us in improving the well-being of our clients and their lives and things like that. So we work um, with therapy dogs <clears throat> um, which we work with our own dogs that we have trained specially um, to be animal assisted therapy dogs. So PAW is a practice where there are um, three, Psychologists and one provisional psychologist, all working with therapy dogs on different days with all of our clients from ages four years up to older adults. And how did you get into it? I got into animal assisted therapy through um, starting my provisional pathway as a psychologist. And right before that, I had bought um, my first dog, uh, Sunny, who was a Labrador um and through the experience of having him right before I started my right when I started my provisional pathway um, I had a really tough time trying to find work and things like that and I had left I'd finished uni and I'd left my retail job and things like that and I was a pretty low time because I couldn't find anything um, in the area it's very difficult to get into and um, I was just really I had my puppy at that time and it was. Um, you know, all those benefits that people talk about, about pet ownership, you know, something, you know, they get you up in the morning and all that sort of stuff, keep you going, keep you getting outside and all that kind of thing. So anyway, I've, I started my provisional pathway and, um, when I started working with clients in rooms, I could tell that, um, there was a lot, I was working with, um, adults with depression and, and, teenagers with eating disorders and stuff like that. And I could tell that, um, a lot of what was missing in people's lives was, something that I had experienced with my dog. And I just had this feeling of, oh, I just want to bring my dog in here. Like, I just think these people need to meet Sonny or something like that. They just need to meet this dog. Cause he, you know, he just feel, I feel so good with this dog. And then, um, I started Googling it and realized that animal assisted therapy was a real thing and I could, you know, go and train in that. And that's exactly what I did. I went down and, you know, trained in all of that and brought my dog back and was full steam ahead from there. I've had him in headspace centres and private practices and I worked in a high school with him and he doing school psychology stuff and all that sort of thing before I started poor. Um, and now I've got um, that dog and my other dog, Oliver, who's a border collie, who's a therapy dog as well. Um, so they rotate their days throughout the week. So it's been a good hmm, five or six years now that I've been working with a therapy dog and I would not work without one. <laughs> ever again.
0: (laughs) I get that. I totally get that. What is animal assisted therapy? So animal
2: assisted therapy is a goal directed intervention that um, includes an animal who meets specific specific criteria. So they've been specifically trained um, and they are working with a human or health provider, a service provider, and they are working towards something that's going to improve the outcomes of that client or patient Animal assisted therapy is all about the animal assisting someone who is already trained in their own modality within their own they're working within their own scope. So if you are a psychologist, you're still providing psychology. So you're still using your traditional modalities such as cognitive behavioural therapy or interpersonal therapies or whatever therapeutic modalities you're using. Your dog assists you in that. So animal assisted therapy is not its own therapeutic modality and it will never, ever be. It's never been designed to be like that. Um so if you're an occupational therapist then you still need to be providing your occupational therapy intervention so working within the scope of what your training is and you involve your dog in that as much as what is possible. So so when when we're actually involving the dog in the therapy in in something in the room that's called an animal assisted intervention.
0: So, it's sort of a, a tool that a psychologist can use, like uh, in in terms of their bag of tricks that sort of helps yep. them to improve. Yep, the something way
2: that... within your toolbox, just like if you um, had your dolls or something like that. So, you're teaching social skills and you might be using um, dolls in the room to to play out a social situation. Yep. We don't have to do that because we can play it out with our dogs. So, I could give you an example of a therapeutic intervention that we might do. Um, so, we might do a CBT task where we're looking at. It's um, some one I do all the time when I feel worried, for example. And so, if I'm dealing with a, with a child, particularly an autistic child, but any child, when we're looking at when I feel worried and, and what what makes me feel worried and what I can do um, to help with that worry, um, we do like we'll write that little posters and stuff like that. They if they clam right up and don't want to talk about that stuff, but if I do a poster of the dog first, um, so we'll do what what makes Sunny feel worried you know, and, and what do we do to help Sunny feel not worried? And then they, we make that poster with pictures of the dogs and stuff like that and then they make their poster about themselves and their worry and that kind of thing and then it's that parallel between the two that engages the child
0: and has that we get a more meaningful intervention. Tell me more about Sunny and Oliver. I know they're probably two loves of your life. Uh, wh- what is it about these dogs that make them so essential in your practice as animals who assist your therapy? With animal-assisted therapy, the research is there to support us in saying
2: that the bond that is built with the client with the dog, the human-animal bond, so that's a well-researched phenomenon, so that human-animal bond that you facilitate between the client and your dog, a part of that comes from your bond with your dog as well. Mm. So my clients can see my relationship with my dog. They can see um, with Sunny and with Oliver that you, you know what it's like when you see someone with their dog and they've got that real, real relationship. So mm. things like, and the science tells us, things like they're holding gaze and, and stuff like that. So um, when our clients see that, it's mirroring and modelling how their relationship with us will be as well. So um, when we have those safe, secure Attachments with our dogs, then our clients are seeing that modelled as well, and they know that they can have that safe attachment
0: with their therapist as well.
2: It's a clinically safe area for them to be. Uh,
0: It'd be awesome to talk a little bit about trust because what I find fascinating when you're saying that having that bond that you have with your dog as the therapist in the room makes the patient or the client feel safer to be able to talk to you. Can you talk more about how having a dog in the room? helps develop trust between you and your your client?
2: Yeah, so there's a study that's been done that looked at um, how people perceived a the therapist when they were with a dog and when they were without a dog um, and the participants rated that the therapist um, ase- seemed more friendly and attractive as well but obviously <laughs> it's not as important. <laughs> um, but they they seemed more... Uh, friendly as a therapist and more approachable and things like that. And so what that did is it made the the, the participants rated that they would feel more comfortable in disclosing to that therapist. So there's something about um, seeing your therapist with a dog that makes you feel more comfortable. Um, it didn't give any higher rating on, of expertness of the therapist, so they didn't think that the therapist was you know necessarily a better therapist or not, um, but it made them feel like they could... Um, participate more, I suppose, trust the therapist more, um, the therapist is more approachable, all those sorts of things. And that was particularly true for the low disclosure groups so you are looking at those really sort of higher risk and more complex groups that are okay. less likely to engage with traditional therapy um, and a traditional therapist working without an animal.
0: Can you tell me about a time where you have had someone who is you know, a member of one of those groups? Come into your room and be quite closed down, but the presence of your dog has helped to open them up and help with the therapy. So it's all day,
2: every day, because I work with, um, I work with that type of group, client group. So I work with a lot of autism, um, autistic children and adults, and um, a key component of autism is that a lot of People who are on the autism spectrum feel less comfortable engaging verbally. That's not where they feel the most comfortable in the communication. Um, but a lot of them just love animals A lot and you know, just really, really connect with animals. And with animal assisted therapy research, it's really around PTSD a lot. And also autism is where, where we're sort of looking. Um, we're sort of thinking that the reason for that is that animals are nonverbal. Um, and so you can engage with an animal without having to talk to them. So you can play with them and you can pat with them and you can build that bond and relationship with them without even having to say a word. So it's all the time that I see that and it's across the lifespan as well. So whether I'm working with children or teenagers or adults, I mean, you're really probably hardest to engage client group is your teenagers, Um, And we just get feedback all the time that, from parents especially, that if we didn't have the dogs there, there's just no way that these kids would be coming to therapy. Um, We have kids all the time, so we get sent the um, most complex people because they're the ones that won't engage anywhere else. So and that might be because they've been in therapy their whole lives and and it hasn't worked for them or they haven't liked it or they've never engaged they haven't they refuse to speak or, you know, those kinds of things because it's just so hard for them to build rapport and probably because of things like trust and stuff like that. You're in a clinical setting, people, you know, institutionalized and all that sort of stuff. So um, when you bring a dog into the room, it changes the whole feeling of the room. My adults are better at verbalizing that for me. So my adult Clients will say things like, it feels like a living room. Like it's just Mm. such a less clinical feeling and and all those sorts of things. But it's very clear in the research that we know it's been replicated again and again that the presence of a friendly dog lowers your cortisol. So therapy is hard and it's stressful for people. Um, It's not not necessarily a walk in the park, you know. (laughs) So some people might really enjoy it, but for most people it's challenging. Mm. And they're in therapy for a reason. Um, And so getting people, especially adults who have to bring themselves, um, you know, nobody's forcing them to go. Whereas with little kids, their parents sort of can bribe them or (laughs) force them to come. Um, Whereas with adults, you know, it can be quite hard to retain adults in therapy because it is challenging. And um, so the lowering of the cortisol in in people in the room is really important. So that's what brings that disclosure out. So uh, my clients will tell me more. So sometimes they'll over disclose as well. So sometimes Mm -hmm. they'll tell me more than what they're even comfortable with telling me. Um, And they'll say things like, oh, I didn't think I was going to cry today. And I didn't, think I was going to talk about that stuff today. And when that happens, and this is part of um, our therapy, we train people in this type of therapy as well, other clinicians. And a part of my training is explaining to clinicians that they need to then triage that for that client. Because what happens is when they leave, they'll feel vulnerable Mm. because they've over-disclosed to you and told you things that they thought they weren't going to tell you. Um, So when I get those sort of cues that that might be what's happening, I'll actually explain human-animal bond and explain that lowering of cortisol and how that you know, increases disclosure and things like that just so that they know that it's it's okay. Mm. You know, it's and that's why that's happened and um, you know, we just make sure that we talk about that before they go, just so that they can process any of that and not, not have to leave so when they leave the therapeutic setting and there's no more dog mm. and the cortisol might go back up and then <laughs> they're spit stressed about the things that they've talked about.
0: You talked mm. about PTSD, which I suppose in some ways, is quite closely linked to grief. Can you tell me a little bit about what dogs can do for people who are suffering from PTSD or grief in particular? With PTSD, um, a big part of working with trauma with
2: therapy animals is that grounding. Um, So when someone is processing a trauma or experiencing the effects of a trauma, they can have... Uh, what we call flashbacks and things like that. They can dissociate in the the session. So dissociating is when your sort of mind kind of leaves your body a little bit, you know, when you're on autopilot or things like that. That's a form of dissociation. So um, people have, you know, like blackouts. People Mm. can have blackouts and stuff like that. So if we're trying to process a trauma with somebody and we're trying to prevent things like flashbacks and, and things like that or if it's getting a little bit too hard. So we might even be dealing with something like a teenager who's, um, first disclosing something as well. Um, we absolutely incorporate the dogs in that and and clients will use the dogs, um, patting the dogs and things like that to ground themselves again. So grounding is when you're bringing yourself back into the present moment. So you're stopping your mind from traveling away into that flashback um, or, or leaving you with that dissociation. Um, you're bringing it back into your present moment. And it means that we can take breaks too. So um, the use of silence um, in therapy is really useful. Uh, so we use a lot of silence, but when we use silence, we're often looking at the dogs. And even if the dogs are sleeping, you know, you'll find that my, I'll find that my clients are just sort of having a bit of a pause in what's going on for them and looking at the dog. And I know that that is bringing their cortisol levels down and making things a little bit easier for them. Um, and it just makes that silence a little bit more comfortable
0: as well. With your clients who are experiencing grief, how do your dogs help them get through that? So I guess it depends on
2: um, what grief they're experiencing. So I actually get sent um, people from GPs, uh, they send me people who are grieving the loss of an animal so this is something that can be widely misunderstood by particularly GPs um, or anyone else in the in the industry, who anyone who's not an animal person, anyone who hasn't, you know, isn't a dog person, they just may not understand um, the true impact of, of losing a pet. Um, and so they get sent to us because we're obviously the dog lady, so <laughs> we get sent to all those sorts of things. Um, now, when we're dealing with grief of uh, losing a pet, Describing human-animal bond is really important. So um, whether they've lost their cat or their dog or whatever it is, being able to explain to people why they felt the way that they felt about their animal while it was alive, I have found has been a really healing part of the process. Mm. So it could be their friends and family around them who just don't understand. It's just a dog. It was just a dog. Why are you so upset? that kind of thing. Um, so being able to explain that the human-animal bond that they felt with that animal is true and real and um, very important and well-researched and well-respected in the research community and all those sorts of things, um, I have found that to be really helpful for people who are processing the grief and loss of an animal. Um, and even looking at the example of when people um, are grieving a partner, so you know they might lose a husband or a wife or something like that, they'll be going through that grief process and then they might remarry after, you know, however many years or something like that. But we know we all know people that have lost a dog and have vowed that they will never ever get another dog ever again because the pain of losing that dog was just so much for them. And we hear those stories all the time of people who have lost a dog and they sometimes they'll come in... And they'll meet my dogs, and it's instant. And I've I'll have parents that come in; they're bringing their kids in because, you know, they want their kids to do animal assisted therapy. But the parents will be in my room for about three or four minutes, and then all of a sudden they're broken down in tears, and we're talking about the loss of their animal that they lost five years ago, ten years ago, and that sort of thing. And it's just that um, they they must have you know very quickly bonded with my dogs, and then it's brought all of that back up for them. So when we're dealing with the grief and loss of a pet, then. Um, you know, that's what I found have found is the most useful is being able to describe why they're feeling that way, and then you're going through your, your typical grief and loss stuff. If we're dealing with just grief and loss with um, people who are dealing with uh, the loss of a friend or family member and things like that, it's the same as as the um, the effects that you're getting in other forms of therapy and for other presenting issues as well. Where just being able to have that. Um, rapport and retention. So we get really good retention when we've got animals involved in the therapeutic process. So that means people keep coming back to their appointments, um, that lowering of cortisol and all that sort of stuff. They're feeling those positive emotions and things while they're there as well. So they've, they've bonded with the animal, then they'll get a rush of things like oxytocin and stuff like that. Um, it just helps the process of being able to talk about that person that they've lost um, and going through those stages of grief, it's just made that a little bit easier because they've got a therapy dog there who's, you know, doing all of those things for them. And they might not even know that the dog is doing those things. I mean, we don't necessarily explain to everybody that, the, that having the dog here is lowering your cortisol and, you know, making you want to come back and all those sorts of things.
0: I'm Laura V, and you're listening to Dognitive Therapy. If you enjoy this series, give it a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to this show for free. I think one of the most difficult losses anyone could ever experience is a loss of a child. Mm. Can, can a dog help with something like that? That would be um,
2: something that in the individual... Person would probably have to experience, but from what we know about human-animal bond and what we know about in terms of the benefits of pet ownership and things like that, then it makes sense that absolutely, if you um, bonded with a dog, then that could absolutely help you through that kind of tough time. Um, there's research that even looks at when um, women with children look at. I think they put them in an, in. Um, an MRI or something like that. And they showed them pictures of kids, their kids and the areas of their brain that lit up were the same as when they showed them pictures of their dogs. (laughs) Um, So, you know, when we say we really do love our dogs and and people can love their dogs like children and it's, you know, we are lighting up those same areas. We're using the same areas of our brain in the attachment with our dogs as what we are with our children. So absolutely a, a human animal bond and a relationship like that in a tough time could absolutely be a protective factor for someone who was experiencing that very, very significant form of grief. Absolutely.
0: I met up with a, a lady called Natasha the other day and she had lost her twin boys at 22 weeks gestation. With Natasha's grief there were a range of emotions that she was going through and she talked about how she ended up getting a dog not too long after she'd lost her little boys and an emotion that came from that dog when she was talking about that journey was joy. Can you talk about how joy could possibly come from going through grief, perhaps having a dog in your life, how that can help?
2: Absolutely. So whether you're going through grief or depression or any other mental health struggle, it's normal to still have times when you experience joy and positive emotions. Um, It is common for for people to think that... um, you know, if they're depressed, that means that they can't feel any joy or any happiness or things like that. But that's not the case. You can absolutely still ex- experience those positive emotions. In regards to the impact of the dog, it absolutely makes sense that um, if she has bonded with that dog and is experiencing human-animal bond, absolutely, then she would be experiencing positive emotions from that. So one of the things that um, I really experienced with Sonny when I got him was... Um, that relationship was very safe um, and I was able to develop a secure attachment with him. So what that means is that um, I could love him and he was just loving me back. Um, And that was really the first time that I experienced that kind of relationship as well. And thus I fell totally in love with this dog because it was the first time that I could really love something um, and have it be not really safe and fulfilling and things like that. So... Absolutely. In a time of grief and despair and things like that, to be able to experience that type of bond and relationship and to be able to pour all of that love into this little dog that she got. Absolutely. It makes sense that, you know, she was experiencing positive emotions from that. But, yeah, certainly the research around owning pets uh, is telling us that there are lots of positive effects from having pets in our lives. And so that includes all sorts of things like our lifestyle changes and stuff like that. So getting out and walking your dogs. There's what we call the social lubricant effect, which is, you know, when you get out and walk your dog and people stop and talk to you on the street and things like that. If you're not walking your dog, people don't stop you Mm. typically and talk to you on the street. Um, So there's all those sorts of things that really um, help to – create those positive emotions in us. Um, and those are quite well, quite well researched in the pet industry world.
0: Do you believe
2: that dogs experience grief? Um, actually there's a book called Animal Madness. I don't know if you've read that. Um, and in that book she is talking about mental illness in animals and the things that we can observe. Um, because Dogs don't have the same frontal lobe as us, so they don't have the same thinking capacity as what we do um, or the same reasoning and that sort of thing. But there's certainly been anecdotal and sort of case study examples of of people who have observed their dogs to grieve. So it might be when um, they've got another dog uh, and they've had to, you know, sadly died. Um, and the dog that they've left behind is displaying signs of grief. So it could be things like um, they are sleeping a lot um, and they're not eating and things like that. It's hard for us to infer exactly what's going on there. So it might even just be the change in their environment and things like that. But absolutely people who have um, witnessed their own dogs going through that sort of situation um, will describe that as their dog's grieving. Um, And I think that there's some merit to that personally. We've also looked at, um, you know, so there are times when people are reporting things like owners, owners, of dogs that have passed away and there are dogs that are sort of, you know, waiting on grave sites and things like that um, for their owners and, and that kind of thing, which, you know, we could interpret that as, as grief or loyalty or we could interpret it as all sorts of things. But absolutely, I, I do think that dogs would have the capacity for grief because we do know that they've got the capacity for things like anxiety and depression and things like that as well.
0: I have a lot of clients reach out to me who have a dog that they think is experiencing grief What do you in your profession think is a good way to help those people help their dog? So if we think about grief, probably more simply as
2: uh, an experience of a low mood, um, then you would look at things like, so what we do with humans is we look at things like improving their amount of activity, um, their self-care uh, and things like, you know, distraction. So with humans, we do, um, you know, changing their thinking styles and stuff like that, and more positive thinking and that kind of thing. So if I was dealing with a dog with that i th- believed was experiencing grief, um, then I would look at things like um, that dog's quality of life and enrichment and improving those things for them. So whether that means taking them for a few more walks or um, leaving them with some enrichment treat treat toys and, and things like that so that, you know, they've got a bit of distraction throughout their days and stuff like that. Because, you know, if, if you've got two dogs and you've lost one, um, then the other dog is quite possibly are really um, experiencing the loss of companion as well. So we know that, um, you know, one of the five freedoms of of animal welfare is having dogs or having any animal that's particularly in captivity with something of their own kind. So species of their own kind and things like that. So dogs like to be around other dogs, just like horses like to be around other horses. So it's quite possible that their dog is experiencing that loss. So maybe even just having a few more play dates with, you know, friends and family dogs and things like that, just to fill that void for their dog might be a good idea as well. Should people adopt another dog? We don't recommend that people adopt another dog for the sake of their existing dog unless they're in a position to care for a second dog. So we know just how expensive and time consuming it is to care for a dog appropriately. Um, and it's always been, you know, one of the things that we've recommended is that we don't buy second dogs um, for your first dog, even though that would be lovely to have, you know, them for them to have a companion unless you can afford the time and resources to look after that second dog.
0: I'd like to talk more about healing, particularly mutual healing, and dogs help us so much. But how can we reciprocate that and and help a dog who is suffering from grief? So human-animal bond is all about that. So human-animal
2: bond is a relationship that is mutually beneficial. So it has to be beneficial for the animal as well as the person. Um, so in terms of looking at healing and things like that, if we, we've talked about how dogs can have that healing effect on humans, um, when they're going through grief and loss or, um, any type of, um, mental health struggle like that. Um, but in terms of helping dogs through things, um, absolutely. I mean, there would be, you know, attachments and things that, you know, bonds and relationships that dogs have with their owners that, that have been formed that would be a protective factor for dogs as well when they're going through something. um, And it might be like a loss or it could be, um, you know, my border collie is, um, I've got a miniature pony and she's a little bit naughty. So (laughs) she's only very young. She chases the dogs. So um, (laughs) (laughs) she thinks it's a game. (laughs) So Oliver, my border collie, if when he's in doubt he comes to me so um, that's one of my favourite things about him particularly in a therapeutic setting as well because we work with kids that can sometimes be a little bit unpredictable and and that kind of thing so he if he gets a little bit uncertain he comes to me and what what that's useful for in situations like with Ruby the pony who started chasing him around is that I can protect him when he's close to me. So he's inside my bubble and I can protect my bubble from Ruby the pony or if he's inside my bubble then um, it would be unusual for a a client to enter my bubble as well. So, um, you know, that's an example of how uh, that human-animal bond can be really useful in situations where a dog would be feeling maybe a bit anxious or unsure about something
0: what's the most rewarding part of what you do?
2: Being a psychologist is an incredibly difficult taxing role um, because we are often dealing with traumas and and people's stories that are, are quite heartbreaking and things like that. And those things can, can take their toll on you over time. Um, having therapy dogs in the room, we, there, we also know that it helps the therapist and even your colleagues and, and anyone that the dog comes in contact with. It's it's really useful for our self-care. So it really helps us throughout the day. So, you know, I have to take my dogs for walks throughout the day, which means I have to get out of my office and go outside and, and walk the dog around and things like that. Those little self-care things um, make my job a lot easier than what it is for people who don't work with therapy dogs. So what I really enjoy is the amount of people that we can help and um, guide them through the things that are going on in their lives for them um, without it taking a huge, massive taxing toll on us because we've got our dogs there. Our dogs are facilitating the, the therapeutic interventions such that um, the the work that we're doing in the therapeutic setting is faster and we get better outcomes. The research is there for that too. So our job as a therapist is easier. The experience for the client is easier. Uh, Everything is, you know, fast tracked. Um, So in terms of our job satisfaction, it's high. Um, And in terms of our self-care, it's good. And in terms of our outcomes with our clients, they're good. So... Uh, that is the the part for me, um, and I'll, that's why I'll never not work with dogs again. Is because I can see it's ticking all these boxes, and you know at the end of every day I'm I'm okay. Um, the dogs are okay. We do have lots of things in place to to make sure our dogs are okay, um, and our clients are are benefiting from the whole process as well. Samantha King, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Does Alfie ever help you when you feel sad? Yeah.
0: Mm.
1: How does he help you? Because
0: he's so soft and furry, I can always cuddle him. This show was written by me, Laura V, and my amazing producer, Dave Swalinski. Audio production is by Darcy Thompson. Executive producers are Jennifer Goggin and Grant Tothill. If you want to see additional content, photos and videos of some of the gorgeous dogs in this series, go to our Instagram page at podcast1au or check us out on Facebook. Dognitive Therapy is a Podcast One production, recorded in the Podcast One Studios, Melbourne.